0: Welcome to Rise Radio with counselor and prevention expert Randy Havison. Recovery in various forms is something that many of us face every day. Most of us need some sort of intervention to start the process of rebuilding and reconnecting our lives. This program serves to empower you to find new ways of solving old problems. Now, here is your host, Randy Havison.
1: Well, welcome back, or welcome for the First time to Rise Radio. I am your host, Randy Havison, and I am so excited about today's show. But uh, first, I just wanted to do a shout-out. I got the report from last week to see who's been listening and who's been downloading our show. And we seem to be collecting quite a international audience here. Uh, to all of our uh, folks and all my friends over in the UK, welcome to the show. I, I hope you're enjoying this. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, anything that you would like us to address... Uh, go over, we would love to hear what's going on in the UK and how we can help you over there. You can shoot me an email randy at riseradioshow.com or go to riseradioshow.com and uh, fill out our form there and you can send any questions or comments that you have and we also have a number of people from China and Canada Uh, We had our first from Ireland. We have someone from Russia, China, Colombia, Jordan. Uh, We even have one from Saudi Arabia. So welcome to all of our folks from around the world. Uh, Thank you for for tuning in. And again, anything that uh, I can add or or put in here for you guys, uh, feel free to ask. So, let's get to today's show, because I don't want to waste any more time. This is going to be a really good one. Uh, Today on the show, we have Dr. John Clapp, and to give you a little bit of background, he is the director of the Higher Education Center. We're going to talk a lot about that, but back in the day when I used to uh, work on college campuses, I used to go to the Higher Education uh, National Meeting every year, and it was sponsored by the Department of Education in Washington, D.C., and it was a really good conference. It was one of the conferences that I looked forward to every year, seeing colleagues and friends and and getting the latest in information that was out there. But I love the way that that's, that it's evolved and we'll talk about that because when uh, funding was cut years ago, they actually defunded the higher ed center. So it wasn't around for a long time and everyone really missed it in the field. And when it got picked up again, we were really excited. And then I kept hearing about this John Clapp guy who had taken it over and I really didn't know him, although it turns out that we have known each other for years um, and and it's come back with it's better than it ever has been, and we'll get into that a little bit more. So uh, let me introduce John, and then we can start talking. We can get a little bit of history, hear about what's going on in the future, and, and just talk from there. So Dr. John Clapp is currently a professor and associate dean for research and faculty development at the Ohio State University College of Social Work. He is also currently the director of the Higher Education Center for Alcohol and Drug Abuse Prevention and Recovery located at OSU. Dr. Clapp has published over 90 journal articles with his work appearing in the Journal of Studies on Alcohol and Drugs Addiction, Drug and Alcohol Dependence, uh, among numerous other top research journals. He has been awarded over $32 million in grants and contracts from the NIAAA, NIDA, the Department of Education, and the Conrad Hilton Foundation. And he has also been a principal investigator on over 20 funded projects. Dr. Clapp is currently conducting research with the partners in the Ohio State University College of Engineering Related to computational simulation of dynamic drinking events. I actually had to read that three times beforehand to get it all down. Okay. A fellow <laughs> in the American Academy of Health Behavior, he serves on the National Advisory Council for SAMHSA, the National Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Association, the Center for Substance Abuse Prevention. He is currently editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Alcohol and Drug Research. His work has received international media attention with coverage in the New York Times, Washington Post, london daily telegraph abc national news among numerous others john you have come a long way from our days at san diego state university and welcome to the show
2: uh thanks randy i'm glad to be here i uh, looking forward to talking with you today
1: Yeah, and and I just want more people to know about what you guys are doing over there because it's just so exciting. I mean, I think it's a game changer, not just in collegiate drug and alcohol work, but I think nationally. I think this is going to have a ripple effect into other areas as well, so I want to talk about that a lot. But the first thing I like to do when I have a, a new guest on is a little bit of background on what is it that got you started in this field? Was this always where you wanted to be, or you know, when you were a little kid and someone said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" It's like, "Well, I want to be a researcher on alcohol and other drug issues." So, yeah, I don't know how many
2: little kids actually uh, think that. So, um, you know that, you know, it's funny. I, I grew up in a uh, a family uh, that half of them were academics. Um, and then the other half were clinical psychologists of some sort. And um, so I kind of was always interested in human behavior. And, uh, and kind of as I went through my undergraduate and graduate studies, especially my master's, I got introduced um, to alcohol and drug prevention, uh, both in terms of practice um at the community level and environmental prevention and those sorts of things and as well as the research level and so that's really where my interest started and uh, went on to get my phd and kind Mm -hmm. of expanded those studies and and really kind of been working on it ever since so um i was fortunate enough to have several mentors along the way uh people in the field that kind of done some some pretty extensive work and um Mm -hmm. I'm glad to kind of be at the stage of my career where I'm passing that along to some other folks.
1: Yeah, that's great. And your staff there is amazing, and we'll talk about them a little bit too. But how did you go from San Diego? Did you grow up in California?
2: Yeah, for the most part, I grew up in San Diego. And, okay. And, um, you know, went to San Diego State as an undergrad and a grad student. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, San Diego State at the time was one of the, ranked one of the top party schools in the country, so there was a lot of Mm -hmm. alcohol and drug-related problems, Um, and actually, um, I grew up in that neighborhood. I grew up right around the campus, a few blocks away, so um, I was kind of used to that whole party culture there Uh, from the time I was a little kid, and kind of saw the Mm -hmm. consequences of it, so... Um, Even though I didn't purposely go into this field, I guess I'd I'd been exposed to it for a number of years. Um, Yeah. And then, uh, you know, came to Ohio for grad school uh, and then back uh, to San Diego State as a professor for a number of years uh, before I moved back to Columbus um, to, to join the faculty here.
1: Wow, that's that's great. And and great universities and and by living so close to the campus that's where you got to start your research on alcohol and drug issues by just observing what was going on around you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It it uh and it's funny um cuz if you look at the research world um related to college alcohol and uh, drug issues, people have been studying it for about 50-60 years at this point. Um <laughs> Uh, but, you know, the the, the la- most of the research has been done in the last 20, 25 years. And mm-hmm. so as a little kid, um, I was kind of seeing some of the problems that uh, were happening before anything was regulated. And the, back in those days, there was a bar district around San Diego State. There was an yeah. on-campus pub um, that really had almost, uh, unregulated sales, so it was a, it was mm-hmm. a very different time, um, uh, a much wilder kind of environment than um, it is certainly today at San Diego State, but at most campuses, um, so mm-hmm. we've made some progress along the way, um, yeah. but it was an interesting time to kind of grow up in that environment.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I remember Monty's Den. That was the spot that I used to stop at before I'd go to class. And then before I knew it, I was a couple pitchers deep and didn't even make it to class. So I remember that place really well.
2: Yeah, you weren't the only one. It, 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 uh, it no. was uh, cheap beer in kegs mm-hmm. on campus. Um, at, at the time, uh, often um, some underage drinking or it wasn't hard for people to get in there, even if they weren't 21. Um, mm-hmm. They were open, long hours. It was all the kinds of things that, um, that you don't want to see on a college campus. And, mm-hmm. uh, and most campuses moved away from that. Even campuses that have bars um, are much more regulated now. Uh, and they tend to be in a food yes. setting. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you can order a, a drink, but you're not going to get it for dirt cheap. There's no happy hours. You know, there's food. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those kind of responsible beverage things now are in place on the campuses that still have alcohol outlets
1: exactly, and a lot of the servers are now tips trained and and so it's it's great to see that evolution happen absolutely so yeah. okay i I'm kind of curious because I don't even know how it came to be that you know, the Department of Education defunded the higher ed center, and then all of a sudden, bam, there it was back at Ohio State. And I'm sure it wasn't like that, but what was that process to get it back uh, reinstated again?
2: Yeah, so uh, maybe for some of your listeners, it would be worth spending a second or two kind of going through um, what the old higher ed center did and how that sure. came about. And I can give you the um, kind of the story of how it was uh shuttered and then reborn here if that would be useful yeah absolutely okay um so the uh higher ed center really kind of came out of uh um the department of education um, back in a period of time when they'd passed what was called the edgar part 86 which is some federal legislation that requires um campuses to have alcohol and drug-related policies and programs and then inform their students, faculty, and staff about those. And um, at the time, the Department of Ed uh, developed the Higher Ed Center, along with a fairly comprehensive grant program that was called FIPSI. Um, and they uh, were offering grants to universities to start prevention programs. and. Um, The Higher Ed Center was was designed to actually kind of help provide technical assistance and develop materials for the field that didn't really exist at the time. So we had a little bit of a science base in, in, you know, academic journals, but there wasn't a whole lot out there for practitioners um, and college health professionals to use. And and so that's how the higher ed center started and and over the years it developed a lot of the kind of big materials that we use in the prevention field. Um and then slowly but surely through federal budget cuts, um FIPSI went away, then the drug free schools program went away and and mm-hmm. then finally um I had was the last director of the federal center or, uh, higher ed center and in, in there had been three or four directors before me, and um, then uh, we got into sequestration in the federal government when they couldn't pass the budget, and um, came into work one week on a Monday, and uh, early that morning we were told, uh, we're not going to renew your contract. We've cut it, uh, along with two wow. other centers in the Department of Ed,
0: wow.
2: and uh, you're going to close up in three months. And so, um, you know, we tried to save it then through a number of kind of political maneuvers and were unsuccessful. Um, At the same time, I I just happened to be moving um, from San Diego to Ohio State. And uh, when I got to campus here, I met with um, some folks who expressed interest in reviving the center. And then just by coincidence, at the very last Higher Ed Center official event, which we held in Washington, D.C., a number of students and faculty from Ohio State were presenting at our meeting, and uh, they found out I was coming there, and they said, well, you know, we really need to restart the center. And I said, well, you know, I I think there's administrative support. Um, Remarkably, came back to campus and uh, within two weeks of being here had – four deans and uh two vice presidents in the room which you know if i was
1: hmm.
2: to wow. do that in some universities i'd i'd still be working on that now two years later
1: <laughs> yeah uh, and absolutely. That happened within a couple of
2: weeks of being here and um they gave us some development people and we we went to work and uh the conrad and hilton foundation graci- graciously uh decided this was worthy of bringing back and and gave us a grant to to start it up again and that's wow. kind of the whole sequence
1: Oh, that, and, and it's so needed because one of the things that I was frustrated with as the coordinator of AOD on, on different campuses is, you know, we had no idea there was this great program out of George Mason out in Virginia, but we were in California. We had no way of knowing what was going on. So the higher ed center was kind of that bridge to kind of talk about all the great programs so that we would know how to kind of put programming together on our campus. So, I mean, it filled such a great need and uh, to see that back has just been phenomenal. And what I really, really appreciate is that you've added this whole component on recovery to the higher ed center. So how did that integrate back into it? And we have a couple more minutes before we need to take a break, but uh, we'll talk as much as we can here. But then afterwards, we're going to talk more about that. But if you just want to kind of a little bit, how did recovery get integrated back into the higher ed center?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh so the way that that happened um was um historically recovery had not been something that the um the Department of Education was very interested in and there was kind of this um myth that um people in recovery didn't um uh, either go to college or they came to college so late that they didn't need those kind of programs because they were already, you know, um, non-traditional students maybe in their 30s mm-hmm. and had a kind of a, a, a recovery support network in their own life and they wouldn't need that on campus. So there there just really wasn't um, kind of the political will to do it and there, there was kind of, like I said, this this misperception that there was no need. Mm-hmm. And then... Right at the very tail end of, of the Higher Ed Center, the Obama administration um, was very um, pro-recovery in a lot of um, the programs that they were pushing out to ONDCP, to NIDA, mm-hmm. and IAA and SAMHSA, and so we we had a couple recovery events, and, um, and that's how it started, and when the, uh, we rebuilt the center, we decided that that was going to be a key thing that we wanted to add, um, and uh, violence used to be in our portfolio in the old higher ed center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up dropping that um, and, and adding recovery. Not that violence isn't important, it, it just tends to be a whole separate area of prevention, and so now Absolutely. we really wanted to have a, a kind of a, a more focused approach to prevention, recovery, brief intervention, kind of more of a continuum of care on alcohol and drug mm-hmm. issues without yeah, which uh, is perfect. diverting efforts and limited resources towards violence. And not yeah. at all because that isn't important, just because, you know, we, we, we can't do everything.
1: That's true. Yep. Can't be everything for everybody. And I was just alerted, we have to take our first break. Um, I have a funny story for you when we come back, Uh, but we're going to continue to talk about adding recovery into the Higher Ed Center as as well as uh, new programs that are coming out and what else they're doing. So after a short break, we will be right back with Dr. John Clapp from the Higher Education Center.
3: This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers, the voice america empowerment channel how do you define work is it that
4: mundane monday through friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment achievement and purpose
3: How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
4: Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life.
0: are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Randy Havison on Rise Radio, and today we are honored to have Dr. John Clapp join us from the Higher Education Center. Uh, he has a long history in the field of alcohol and other drug education, prevention, and recovery. And I want to talk a little bit more about recovery in higher education because, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I put in a program proposal years ago uh, at the Higher Ed Center because I was doing a students and recovery support group back in 1993 at James Madison. And I thought, you know, this might be something that would be useful on other campuses. So I put in a proposal. Uh, to do a session on working with students in recovery at the Higher Ed Center. And I remember getting the feedback. The session was denied, and they said, this is not a topic that is relevant to today's college students. And I thought, what? That is ridiculous. And back then, you know, there were only a couple handfuls of programs out there supporting students in recovery. Um, But now, I mean, there are so many, and I want to talk about that too. Um, But I want to get into more about uh, Ohio State implementing recovery into the higher education center. And was that well embraced when you first proposed that or did they kind of think ah, i don't know if this is really going to take off
2: yeah no it, it, i think it was well embraced um Good. i i thought i had the same question myself uh, you know it's kind of coming out of the field for a number of years and kind of remembering the history um and for the most part they're um most people were very supportive, not just here at Ohio State, but nationally. And, and I'm not talking just about the the recovery community folks. I'm talking about, you know, the prevention folks uh, in general and, and college health professionals. There was a very kind of openness to, to seeing this. And and a lot of kind of people saying, you know, it's a, it's about time it, it was added. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that was that was refreshing and and I think there's been some shifts where people now recognize that it's important uh, to have uh, recovery communities on college campuses, and uh there doesn't seem to be the tension there used to be between uh, the prevention world and the recovery world mm-hmm. as far as fighting for resources and that, and the, and that sort of thing. So I, I do think we're kind of in a different place than, than we were back when you submitted that proposal.
1: Yeah. And, and it's so nice to see that happen because I, I think, you know, I was a, a college student in recovery. You know, I got sober after getting kicked out of San Diego State a couple times. But then when I went back, trying to find supportive services on campus back in 1984 was pretty much unheard of. So, you know, I had to go off campus for that. But now, I mean, there are whole centers, there are recovery uh, residence halls. I mean, so much out there. And I love that when I went to the, the last national meeting of the Higher Ed Center, there were a lot of recovery-focused events and sessions, and it was so great to see how well-attended they were and how much interest there was in that topic. So it was great.
2: Yeah, you know, and it... it um it's one of those things that um, because it, it was kind of shut out for so long, that um, that there's still a, a ton of enthusiasm in in the, um, the kind of college uh, recovery community space, which mm-hmm. is nice to see, um, and it in some ways reminds me of the, the level of enthusiasm we you saw on the prevention side back in the 1980s and um, Early 1990s, um, and so um, that's that's kind of exciting. It's also a space right now that, um, it, with a, a few notable exceptions, there's not a ton of research, and uh, there hasn't been a strong network of people kind of out sharing best practices and some of those things you alluded to that that those meet medi- the national meeting does. Um, so I do, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, people are hungry for more information, they're, they're interested in learning from each other, um, and so it, it, it's a fairly exciting time uh, in, in that topic area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing, you know, from a university-wide viewpoint, when a student comes to a campus in recovery, I mean, they become model students, I mean, their GPA is higher than the average students. Um, they become amazing peer educators and advocates for for healthy lifestyle choices on campus. I mean, they really become assets for the campus. I mean, are you finding that at Ohio State also? Yeah,
2: definitely. And it's um, you know the the challenge, of course, I think on most campuses um, is a lot of these programs are fledgling and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so you're seeing, even though there's been a drastic um, kind of increase in the number of campuses that have some sort of recovery community, that really, uh, in comparison to to, to prevention programming, it, it's a smaller, much smaller fraction. Sure. Um, and I I do think that the campuses that start to recognize the things that that you just pointed out um, will um, you know, be the, the early uh, adopters of this kind of um, approach. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in the long run, it's not that difficult. I mean, it, campuses tend to have substance-free dorms and they're resident halls, <laughs> and they've had that for a number yeah. of years. Um, and, Pretty you know, much ineffective, though. Student-oriented programming. So putting these programs into place shouldn't be a giant Jump for a lot of places. It's just it, it hasn't happened at that level. But I, I think your point's well taken. That that one of the ways to sell that to college administrators is to point out that you know these are really model students and um, and also really kind of complement what you're trying to do uh, with uh, environmental prevention efforts in mm-hmm. in creating um, a more positive environment, changing norms around. Alcohol and drug use, and uh, and and so a strong recovery community can can work uh, in tandem with prevention.
1: absolutely. and And I point out to campuses, too, that it's a good marketing piece, too. To be able to say that we have good, solid support services for students in recovery, now the students who are coming into college already in recovery, that's what they're looking for. So it actually becomes a drawing point for high school students to come to the campus if they have a solid program.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And um, you, you know, it'll, it'll really kind of be interesting, I think, in the next couple years to see... Um, how this develops and how campuses start to embrace this and market it and let students know that it's here. I mean, you know, it's interesting, and 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 this would be a a totally different show for you at some point. But you know, if you talk to college uh, recovery folks who are trying to put these programs together or run these programs, the size of the campus sometimes um, makes makes even just getting the word out uh, about their own program, you know, a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you, so you take sure. a place like OSU with 60,000 undergrads um, and hundreds of student programs that, you know, um, kind of getting that across without central administration helping you promote it um, can be a challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's amazing how the folks who are in recovery, they always seem to find each other. So that's the cool part is they know where to look and where to find each other. And I think that's how those programs grow. But yeah, on some campuses, it just takes time. People expect it to just, you know, we're going to have 200 students in the first year and it just doesn't happen that way. So, you know, for anyone who is starting a fledgling program out there, just realize that it takes time and patience and finding the right, uh, support from administration. And, you know, if you build it, they will come. I really yeah, believe that. that's
2: right. That's, it really does. These are not overnight things, um, and really, no program is uh, in the alcohol and in the drug prevention recovery kind of world. Things take time to, to implement. They take time to institutionalize,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, that's really where where you got to be patient. You got to have some consistent leadership, and um, and having that administrative support is invaluable.
1: Absolutely, and then. I mean, having support like you have at the Higher Ed Center, I mean, some of your staff, I mean, they're some of the most incredible people I've met. I mean, Sarah Narad, she blows me away. I mean, I have not seen a little fireball like her, uh, I don't think, ever. And Kristen and and the other folks that you have there, I mean, they're just amazing. How did, I mean, you must be a magnet for drawing incredible people to you. How'd you do that?
3: (laughs) Well.
2: (laughs) <laughs> well, I've certainly been lucky. Now, Sarah was actually one of the ones that was here, and I met at that meeting that I, I talked about, the very last higher ed meeting. Uh, Sarah was at that meeting. I believe she was presenting. Um, and, um, you know, a very passionate advocate uh, for this issue. And, it, you know, it was funny. When I first got here, everybody I met would be like, oh, you need to meet Sarah. <laughs> so she she made the rounds around campus, and then as I got out and started meeting with, um, you know, Ohio's uh, Congre- congressional people and, and uh, senators in Washington, trying to to get some uh, restored funding for some of these issues. Uh, you know, Sarah had already been there, and uh, so she's she's extremely well plugged in. And uh, I recruited Kristen, um, and uh, and then Cindy. Uh, Clowner um, to the staff as we moved along. Um, And so I got a number of people with project uh, experience and a lot of prevention, uh, AOD experience, a lot of recovery uh, experience on Sarah's side, and she recruited her own staff that have a lot of experience. Uh, And then on the uh, prescription drug misuse, which we haven't really talked about, um, Mm -hmm. we had uh, Generation RX here for a number of years. So... We really kind of had all the ingredients at Ohio State to make a vibrant center.
1: That's so great. I mean, it, it, and it's so nice when things like that that are so needed fall together. Uh, and I'm really glad that you guys are doing it up there because it needs to be done somewhere. So why not at Ohio State?
2: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, I think the nice thing with Ohio State um, is that it, it, it's a place that is, uh, unlike other universities that I've been to and worked with in the past, a very collaborative place, and people are um, come across uh, campus from different areas and work together uh, to solve big problems. Uh, so this, this is, you know, the center now is unique in that we have people from student life we have people from Social Work and Pharmacy, uh, so you got two academic colleges partnering with the Division of Student Life to really kind of um, address an issue where you need all those areas of expertise to do it, and you don't always mm-hmm. find that um, on, um, on college campuses.
1: Oh yeah! If you can bridge that gap between academic and student affairs, that's huge. And I think you guys are a good model of what happens when you do bring those together and how much more effective you're able to be. So, you yeah, know, hopefully yeah, you'll be absolutely. disseminating some information it, it, um, on that too.
2: Yeah, and uh, it, it's a nice, it's a really nice model. Um, it helps to have that, uh, you know, a vice president and a couple deans supporting this. Um, And so um, it also gives us kind of a platform when we go talk to other schools to to kind of point out, you know, there's ways to sustain um, these types of programs on your campus and getting buy-in from academic units as well as student life can be be really important.
1: Right. And maybe have your deans talk to the other deans at the other campuses and talk about how amazing it's been working with them. Because you know they listen to their own before they'll listen to, you know, someone like me or you.
2: Yeah, that's often the case, and I and I and I do kind of think one of the things we've been trying to work on for a while here that the old Higher Ed Center had done a few times is really to try to to get up to those upper administrators, um, college presidents, boards of trustees, and and get access uh, to them for various campuses around the country. Mm-hmm. um To really kind of uh, advocate for these types of programs and show the importance um both uh you know in terms of um you know the uh, public health and human standpoint, but also it, it really impacts the the quality of uh, a campus and the education for for mm-hmm. everyone when these issues go unaddressed um, yeah. hurts the reputation of the institution so so you know college administrators um and Trustees really should have a vested interest in and kind of putting these programs in place and sustaining them
1: absolutely, and academic vPs I mean it oh, goes yes. all the there's way down the line president. on the academic side too yeah
2: yep, yeah, yeah. Your provosts and those types of people mm-hmm. I mean it's certainly academic failure and retention are giant issues um, yep that are related to this so there there's a number of of kind of compelling reasons. Um, uh, from an administrator's standpoint to, to 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 do these sorts of things and uh, it's just kind of one of those things that um, you know and like any big enterprise there's always a lot of competing demands and the, mm-hmm. the different pressures from different stakeholder groups and sure getting uh, kind of keeping your message in front of the uh, the people with the power to um, put policies and programs in place um, is just something that takes a sustained effort.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it does. And, you know, I was just thinking how great would it be at a future Higher Ed Center national meeting if you had a roundtable for uh, provosts of academic affairs or presidents that were able to uh, be there as well and hear what was going on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you know the, Kristen's working on that right now. Um, Great. So for for the next meeting, uh, you know, we're really open to have that.
1: Oh, that would be amazing if you could help bridge that gap too. Because it really does need to be a team effort. You know, offense and defense do different things, but they need to be coordinated with their game plan.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yep. So we need to take another short break. God, this time is just flying. So we need to take another short break. And when we come back, I want to hear about some of the things that you have going on there. You mentioned uh, the uh, Project RX or what was that called? Generation
2: RX, yeah.
1: Generation RX. I want to talk about that. I want to hear about Screen U and the other things that you're doing out there. And, you know, let's give it more national and international exposure. So hopefully more people know about it and can get involved with what you're doing. So, after this short break, we will be right back with Dr. John Clapp from the Higher Education Center at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University. Live up to your
3: fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself
4: in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life?
0: There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment.
3: How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Randy Havison, your host of Rise Radio. And uh, as always, you're welcome to call in and ask questions. Although, uh, when I get the reports every week, I find that only a few dozen people are listening to the program live and most are listening to it recorded or, or later in the day or off of uh, iTunes. Oh, found out that this is, this is now a podcast. You can get these off of iTunes and, and download copies of the Rise Radio Show there. Uh, but if you do have a question and it's not live, feel free to shoot me an email, Randy at Rise Radio Show. Show.com, and I'm more than happy to answer your question on air at the next uh, show. Uh, if you have any comments, more than happy to address those. But if you are listening live and you'd like to call in, feel free to do that. Again, that number is 888 346 9141 and john and i would love to answer your questions uh, or hear your comments so feel free to call on in but now i want to get back to speaking with john and talking about some of those exciting programs that you have going on there and i want to hear about the progress you know things like generation rx and screen U. so tell me how those came about and and where they are today
2: sure um so ScreenU is kind of one of the things that we've been working on uh, for the last couple of years, and, and what that is is a, um, a software package that will be available um, in the next couple months uh, that's um, screening brief intervention referral to treatment, uh, but in an integrated um, kind of self-administered way. And uh, we have three versions of that. Uh, in development, uh, we have an alcohol version. Of course, alcohol being the, the most commonly uh, misused drug on college campuses. And then we have a marijuana uh, version, which is um, in development. And we have uh, what we think is one of the first prescription drug misuse uh, nice. screening brief intervention uh, software packages. So.
1: Oh, that's so needed. So yeah, how does definitely. your program? So, yeah, how does your program um, differ exactly. from Basics? Because Basics yeah. is a, a program that's been around for a while for that brief intervention model. But how does yours differ from Basics?
2: Yeah, so Basics is really more therapeutic. It, it's a um, it comes out of the same kind of theoretical stream, but it, it tends to you, you know it's face to face. It requires a trained uh, clinician. Um, mm-hmm. or service provider, and, and what we've come up with here is really a um, something that, that kind of really just a screening and very brief intervention with a motivational kind of interviewing slant to it, um, mm-hmm. but it's automated. And so um, it's being substance-specific, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and self-administered, um, we are able to kind of keep it very brief, which is nice. And um, yeah. so unlike a lot of the other things out there um, that take 15, 20 minutes, this is going to be much, much briefer, uh, depending on your answers to the screening questions. So um, it uh, it's nice in the sense that it allows college campuses to implement uh, at the population level if they'd like to. So you could screen all incoming students every year. Uh, nice. Or you could customize it to, um, you know, screening everybody who comes into the health center or the counseling and psychological services. Or if you had a dental clinic, you could do that. You know, so it, it's very customizable in that sense, uh, a flexible tool. And students really seem to like the the fact that it's brief. You can do it on your cell phone. You can do it on an i. IP- Uh, Pad. You can do it on your computer. It doesn't really matter. Um, And a very kind of straightforward experience for them.
1: You know what? That's such a great idea because a lot of times someone will go into the health center for something completely unrelated, and they don't even really connect the dots that this could be an alcohol or or a marijuana-related incident that they're there for in the first place so uh,
2: yeah, the, health center, right. and yeah. The, the other thing you know in these kind of this expert type approach is that um when you do it in a health setting even if if the problem they came in for is totally unrelated to their substance use um they're kind of in a uh what what you know clinicians often call it a teachable moment they're in a vulnerable mm-hmm. health state and having a A a screen when they're getting screened for all these other things, their blood pressure and you know, Mm -hmm. you know, blood counts and that sort of thing. Having a a alcohol screen or a prescription drug uh, misuse screen uh, seems pretty natural, and um, they're often more amenable to that kind of information in those settings than they would be in a you know, here's your orientation and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to tell you all about our drug policies on campus kind of thing.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I I am a huge fan of this. And I think it's very much needed. You know, funny story. uh, Back when I was working on a campus, this was back in 1991. I went to the health center and I was talking to one of the doctors at the health center. And I said, how do you screen the students when they come in to see if they have an alcohol problem or not, or whether the thing they're coming in for is alcohol related? And she said, oh, I don't even ask. I mean, if I ask that question, it can open up a whole can of worms, so I don't even ask. And I was dumbfounded by that answer. It's like, how could a physician in a university health center not ask about alcohol when someone comes in for a bruise or a break or something? It just amazed me. So I think having something like this would take it off of the responsibility of the physician and, and allow a student to kind of see, oh, wow, maybe this is something I need to be concerned about
2: yeah and that's it, it you know it's that story like yours not that uncommon. Um, in general, physicians don't like to ask about this issue. They have uh, limited time with patients. they it it, it it becomes something else that they have to deal with. and and mm-hmm. then, like you said, if there's an affirmative response, they one have to know how to deal with the issue. And two, if the person needs some sort of resources or support, they have to be able to refer. And exactly. uh, So, so often you end up with this kind of "don't ask, don't tell" mentality for for um, for substance use issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, ScreenU really kind of fills that gap, um, takes it out of um, the hands of the practitioner. And uh, the other piece of the the software that that's Unique is the referral piece can be completely <laughs> customized to the um, the campus's environment.
1: Oh, I that's put great! Putting your own
2: campus resources and local resources, uh, and so it, it is a nice little tool that uh, that can complement kind of general services on campus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when did you say this was going to be ready?
2: Uh, we, we really, it's in the pilot phase now, there's about 40 schools great. using it in Ohio and a few other states, um, we're, we're kind of working out the last little bugs and in, in, uh, making it the um, kind of the version with all the bells and whistles, and mm-hmm. uh, that should be completely finished in the next month, and awesome. uh, then we should be ready to rock.
1: Oh, that's going to be great, and I'm sure you'll do a huge announcement of, of when that becomes available.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I'm more than happy to, to announce it too on the show. And I'll put a link on the uh, Rise Radio Show website. Uh, you know, if, of course, anything that I can do to help with your mission, I'm more than happy to do that for you.
2: Yeah, that's great, Randy. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely, you know, keep you in the loop as, as this cool. develops.
1: Yeah. Now, is there going to be a cost for this or is it going to be grant funded or, or something else? How, how is it getting paid for?
2: Well, we're looking. That's a great question. Um, we're looking at different models right now, and, and it. One of the things that um, we're, we tried to do when we recreated the higher ed center is we didn't want to be in a position where we were um, reliant on federal grants to to stay mm-hmm. alive. Um, and I think really, there's although I certainly appreciate. That the Higher Ed Center was funded by the Department of Education, the federal government, for 20 years. Um, the uh, the what happened when we got cut really kind of illustrated how vulnerable you are, and, mm-hmm. and then you you, you do kind of run into politics around. Um, what you mm-hmm. can do as a center, and that's part part of the reason we didn't have recovery in the mission for, for a mm-hmm. long while. Um, you know, there was times when certain topics, albeit very important, uh, like school shootings, uh, when we had the Virginia Tech Massacre, um, you know, a, a few years back, uh, you know, the, the people at the Department of Ed really wanted us to come up with prevention programs for mm-hmm. that. And so you end up getting some mission drift sometimes or getting pulled yeah. away from uh, what what your expertise is as an organization. And, and so we didn't want to be in that position again, uh, either vulnerable for funding or have the inability to really kind of serve the community as it needs to be served. Um, and so right now we're, we're funded as I said, by the, the Conrad Hilton Foundation. Um, but it's our hope that we we come up with some kind of fiscal model that really just um, ha- has universities and colleges that use our services and, and our uh, tools help support the center through a cost recovery mechanism. So mm-hmm. uh, there probably will be a, a very small cost relative to other software um, that's available commercially right now. Uh, mm-hmm. For this, and it's um, really everything we make covers our costs and goes back into building the higher ed center and maintaining the infrastructure.
1: And you know what, so I, I don't think know exactly makes a lot what of that sense.
2: price point's going to be yet, um, but yeah. it, it will be uh, well south of uh, five thousand uh, dollars, probably more in the the one to two two fifty range.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, that's much better than a lot of the programs that are out there. Uh, and and I agree with you. I mean, if you can become self-supporting and self-funding, then you don't have to worry about anything else happening to, to mess with that. So I think that's a really good idea.
2: Yeah. I um, mean, you know, we'll, ultimately, if, if, if uh, you know, being at a university, we have development people they are out looking – you know, for donors and, and and someone who might want to endow the center, you know, if that was ever the case, where we were able to endow um, what we do, obviously everything we created would be free. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, that our reach, reaching and, and solving these problems is our mission. It's not a it's not a business per se, and right. so um, you know. Right now, we see it as a necessity. But if we were ever in a position where we didn't need to do that, we certainly would do our best to develop cutting-edge science-based tools that were user-friendly yeah. for um, and really make them available for free.
1: Yeah, which would be ultimate. But you know, one of the reasons I wanted to also have you on. Speaking of funding, uh, you know, this is National Recovery Month for right. anyone who doesn't. Uh, know that yet. But one of the things that I would like to do is for all Party with a Plan books and materials that are sold through our website in the month of September, I want to give 10% of that uh, back to the higher ed center. So that's going to be my little contribution to you guys, uh, to say thank you for all that you do for, for college students around the country. So I'm going to be donating 10% of book and material sales to the higher ed center in the month of September. So, you know, and I wish I could endow, if I can sell 5 million books, John, I will endow the higher ed center.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Andy. We appreciate that. And I hope you do sell 5 million books. Um, it, you know, it's funny. It, it's uh, um, it's one of those um, it's one of those areas that, although alcohol and drugs touch so many families, um, it's surprisingly difficult to raise money for this issue.
1: I and, know, and, uh, and it's amazing.
2: There's hey John, I was just really given our 12nd second. A lot of we're out, John. On the Hilton Foundation that funds this, and the, back in the day, Robert Wood Johnson pumped a lot of money into this. True. Um, hey John, they don't really fund John? it anymore. Um, government funding's flat, so it's it's a very challenging yeah. environment to to fund this. It is, and uh, that's the other reason we're really kind of looking at a more of a social enterprise model to keep this thing going, so it doesn't go yeah. away again.
1: And I think that's a really great idea. And if anyone wants more information about the Higher Education Center, they can go to our website, riseradioshow.com. You can also go to the, is it hec.osu.edu? Give me the web address real quick.
2: Yeah, it's uh, hecosu.edu.
1: Great. And John, I'm, I apologize. We are out of time and I need to wrap this up. You have been amazing. I definitely want to have you back and have some of your staff on as well. I thanks for tuning in to all the people from around the world. And again, Randy, AriseRadioShow.com. Love to hear your comments, questions, and what we can do to make this show better, more exciting, more entertaining, more educational. So thank you for tuning in. And thank you, John, for joining us. And we will be with you next week for another episode.
0: you for tuning in to rise radio please join your host randy havison again next wednesday at 1 p.m eastern time and 10 a.m pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel until our next show have a great week